Uh, my name is Andy Nelms, and I have the privilege of being the associate pastor here at Lover's Lane, the pastor here at Thrive. And again, I just want to welcome you to worship this morning. Uh, maybe you're a longtime member, and uh, we want to welcome you back, or maybe this is your first time. Uh, maybe your, your first time here in the room or, or your first time online, and, and I just want to welcome you uh, especially. We are so blessed to get to worship with you this morning. Uh, we are uh, right now in the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is a season of preparation between Ash Wednesday and Easter, uh, which is just a couple of weeks away now. And during this time, Christians for centuries have used this as an opportunity for introspection, um, for kind of rebuilding themselves and using this as a time uh, to prepare their hearts and their minds for the resurrection of Christ. And, and so we have been using this time as a church family to discover our calling. That's the sermon series we've been in named Calling, and it's all about discovering our purpose. I want to let you know something this morning. And uh, again, whether you know it's your first time here, maybe you don't even know what you believe about God, or, or maybe you're a longtime member, whatever the case, God has a calling on your life. That you matter to God. And, and your life matters to God. What you do matters to God. And so we've been using this as a time to uh, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear God's calling on our life. And so we've been talking about the, the different kind of steps uh, to understanding our calling, and the different ways to kind of hear that calling. And and uh, this week, we're going to learn about transformation. Actually, once we've heard that calling, once we've heard what God has called of us to actually be transformed into that calling, to actually change into that calling. And, and really, when we talk about transformation, when we talk about change, it really poses a problem to us, right? It really poses a problem uh, because we like things the way they are, even if they're not working, Right? Like, like, we really like things just to kind of stay the same. And, you know, to be honest, this is, this is biological, right? Our, our brains crave patterns. And, and so we will do our best to kind of create a pattern in our lives. And, and sometimes we hold on to those patterns even if they're not working. And so when the opportunity for transformation comes, many times we will let it pass by for fear of change. You know, there's the, there's the story of a, of, of a young girl whose mother taught her to make a pot roast. And, uh, and, and so they pull out the, the slab of meat and the mother starts to cut the short end off of the pot roast. And the daughter asks, and said, why are you doing that? Why do you do that? And, and the mother said, well, um, you know, it's the way my, my mother taught me and, and the way that uh, her mother taught her. And, and she said, yeah, but why do you do that? Why do you cut the short end off? And she said, well, the short end is, is you know, just kind of tougher and, it, and it's kind of harder. You know, it, it's really not as good. And she said, really? Have you ever tried it? And she said, well, no. And she said, well, so why do you cut the short end off? And, and, uh, and the mother said, well, you know, it just, it cooks differently. You know, it's, it's smaller. And so it gets, you know, just tougher and, and it just doesn't cook as well. And so you got to cut the, the short end of this roast off. And and the daughter said, well, are you sure about that? And, and I said, well, maybe. And so she, so, so now the, the mother calls her mother and says, you know, uh, my daughter's asking why you cut the short end off. And, and, um, 
of the pot roast. And, and, you know, why do we do this? She said, well, it's the way my mother has always taught me to do. And she kind of gave the same explanations that she had given her daughter. And she said, yeah, I know that's what I said, but, but you know, is that really true? And, and so now the, the, the daughter's grandmother has an opportunity to call the great-grandmother. And so she calls the great-grandmother and she says, you know, they're about to make a pot roast and they're cutting the short end off of the pot roast. And you, this way you taught me to do it. And it's the way we've always done it. Why do we do that? She said, well, that was the size of our pan. Right? Uh, and, and, but now, sometimes we perpetuate these problems. Sometimes we perpetuate these patterns without even thinking. And so when the opportunity for transformation comes, we let it pass by. Why? Because we like things the way they are, even if they're not working. And I, and I want to let you know something this morning. I want to let you know something that for you, for all of us, transformation is always possible. Everyone has an opportunity for transformation. I want to let you know that transformation is always possible. We hear amazing stories here at this church about transformation. Right? We have an amazing relationship with, uh, with the addiction ministry, and we listen to amazing stories of people recovering from their addiction, being in the process of that recovery, and experiencing that transformation when they thought that all was lost, and that you know these other people can get help but not me. We've experienced amazing stories of transformation about people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and their lives being transformed by that relationship in Jesus Christ when they thought, surely that's true for everybody but me. Well, you know, the transformation is always possible. Maybe we've been a part of a faith community for a long time. And maybe we've been a part of the faith community for a long time and we've built up these unhealthy patterns in our lives, these unhealthy habits, these things in our life that really aren't leading to life. And, and I want to let you know that transformation is always possible even for you. And so this morning, I hope we will use this as an opportunity to transform our lives into the image of Jesus Christ. And to understand that we're going to read this morning from the book of Acts chapter 9. This is the story of Saul, who will later become Paul and, and will be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, if you don't know what you believe about Jesus or, or you know, if you're not quite sure, this story it always astounds me th that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, there still has to be some kind of explanation for how Saul came to faith. Right? Like, like Saul is somebody, is, is a Pharisee. He, he um, in, in early on in the book of Acts chapter 9, he is, a, he is somebody who was persecuting the early church. The followers were called the way. He was a persecutor. He would go out and he would find these people. He would get contracts. He would go out and he would find these people and he would bring them to trials where they could be, they could be tortured or even put to death. Saul is one of these people and he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. An incredible transformation story. And so we learn about these kind of like stages of transformation, these, these steps to transformation. And we learn about this, this kind of first stage of transformation is simply being in the wrong, right? The, the first stage of transformation is being in a need of transformation. And it takes incredible humility to be in this stage. And this is where Saul is. Saul is persecuting the early church and he's really good at it. And he's getting a lot of accolades. He's getting a lot of support. He, he's getting a lot of attaboys for his job. But he realizes he's in the wrong. And, and the first stage of transformation is admitting that we need help, is admitting that we were in that point. And if you need help this morning, I, I want to let you know, if you need help this morning, I want to let you know we've all been in the wrong at some point. 
We've all, leave this up here for just a minute. We've all been in the wrong at some point. I want us all to say this. If you're in person this morning, if you're online this morning, I want you to say this because this is true for all of us, all right? And it's going to be harder for some than others, all right? You ready? We're all going to say this together. We've all been wrong at some point. We had like two people say that in here. I don't know about online, but we're going to try that one more time, okay, church? This is audience participation. We've sprung forward, okay? We're, 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 we're here. You made it to church. Uh, you're online. You did it. The kids are there, and that's fine. We're all going to say this together. You ready? We've all been wrong at some point. Well done. You did it, church. I'm so proud of you, all right? We've all been wrong at some point. We've all been wrong at some point, and that's what we need for transformation, right? Life is exhausting if we have to be right all the time, you know, or if we have to pretend, we have to project this kind of false exterior that we are right, but we are not. We've all been wrong at some point, and that's what we need in order for transformation to take place in our lives, and so we read about this transformation. Uh, again, in the book of Acts chapter 9, we're going to start it in verse 3. That um, As we come to this story of transformation, Saul is on his way to Damascus to go and, and persecute more Christians to bring them to trial before the high priest. And we read about this again in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. That now as he, Saul, was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's on his way to do his job in the wrong, but, but he believed he was doing the right thing, and here he is confronted with the fact that he is actually in the wrong. And Jesus meets him on this road, and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Right? Not why do you persecute the Christians in Damascus. Not why do you persecute these followers. Why do you persecute me? Why does Jesus say that? Well, we read in Matthew 25 that Jesus says, where you have done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. And Jesus interprets Saul's actions as immediately toward Jesus. So here Saul is in the wrong, and he has an opportunity whether to admit that he is wrong or, or just deny that this has all ever happened. You might say that, you know, it's, it would be really hard for Saul to admit, you know, to deny that all, any of this had ever happened. And, and if you could say that, you might like overestimate our power of denial, right? Like some of us have been confronted with the fact that we are in the wrong. Like it has smacked us in the face and we will deny it till we are blue in the face. Sometimes we are in the wrong and we just need to, to admit it. And we just need to say, I'm sorry. And, and so once we come to the fact that we are in the wrong, we come to this kind of second stage of transformation, and that is realization. That is realization. That aha moment. Uh, our, our brothers and sisters in uh, anonymous groups call this rock bottom. That moment where you realize that the decisions you've made have led to this kind of destruction. Maybe it's a destruction of your relationships. Maybe it's a destruction of your, your work life or a project you were working on or, or in your parenting. This, this realization, you've been confronted with the fact that you were in the wrong. And now you have this 
aha moment of realization. Well, for Saul, this again happened on Damascus. And Jesus comes to Saul with a flash of light and says, why do you persecute me? And, and, and so Jesus tells Saul, get up and go on into Damascus. And when Saul stands up, he realizes that he is now blind, that, that he is now blind. He can't see. And luckily, he has two other followers with him that have not seen this event, but they could hear what was going on. They, they are with him. And so they help walk Saul into Damascus. And then in Damascus, there is an apostle, a follower of Jesus. His name is Ananias. And we read about him in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 10. We're going to skip around a little bit, but we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 9, verse 10 right here. That now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and to the house of Judas Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And then in verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in your name in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to, to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. So Saul is struck blind. This persecutor of the early church, the, the one who had made a name for himself by, by how many Christians he could arrest. And Jesus appears to Ananias and says, Ananias, go to this house here on a street called Straight and meet a man named Saul. And Ananias says, I know who this guy is. Are, are you sure this is who you want me to go to? And Jesus says, Go. For I will use him to make my name great. This is what Ananias helps us realize that most times it takes another person to help us make our realization. Right? Most times it takes another person to help us make our realization. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a trusted friend. Maybe it's a counselor. Whatever the case. Maybe it's a pastor. Most times it takes another person to help us make our realization somebody to speak into our lives. Maybe you've been a part of those conversations. And maybe you were the other person who, were help, who was helping make a, help a friend make a realization and say, you know what, your, your drinking has really gotten in the way of our relationship. And you've realized how powerful that bond is. You know, your, your anger is really getting out of hand. I think you need to talk to somebody. You know, I, I've just realized that you are just really unhappy lately. Or maybe you've been the one who's needed the help to make a realization and you've realized the humility that it takes to receive that word from a friend. You've had to put aside the ego, put aside the, the initial anger that wells up in you, the frustration to say that this person wants to call me out. Look at their life, right? That's a sign that you're in the wrong. When you start pointing finger back at the person who's talking to you, but you, you know, there's this justification that happens in your mind, this defensiveness that happens in your mind that says they want to talk about me. This person does this and that. I remember when you were in high school, you did all of these things. I remember you in college. This person wants to call me out. Friends, most times it takes another person to help us make our realization. And this is what Ananias did for Saul. 
This is what Ananias did for Saul. We read about what happens just a little bit later in, in verse 17. That Ananias went, uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Ananias went and entered the house and he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Look at the incredible thing that happens here. Ananias goes to this house where Saul is and he walks into the house and he sees this man, the notorious Saul, the one who has made a name for himself by persecuting Christians. And he's been struck blind. He can't see anything. And, and Ananias immediately walks up to him and lays his hands on him. And the first thing that he says to him is, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. What would it mean for us if we saw our perceived enemy? Maybe it's a, a perceived enemy at work. Maybe it's a political enemy you, you watch on the news. Maybe it's a neighbor, whatever it is. What if you, you could see that other person and the first thing that you could call them is brother or sister? In what ways would that change the conversation? In what ways would that bridge the gap between you and them? Jesus called Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go and I want you to give healing to this person, Saul. And Ananias says, no, that's, that's them. That's the other people. That's them on the other side. They are working against us. And Jesus said, I can even use him. So many times we want to draw these lines and say, you know what, that's the other side. They're working against me. That, that's them and, and, and I'm us, you know, and, and we are against them. And Jesus says, I can even use them. So Saul receives healing. He's baptized. And this transformation brings him repentance. This transformation brings him repentance. This is the third stage of transformation. We, we, we hear about being in the wrong, coming to a realization. And then it's not enough just to come to a realization, just to say that we were wrong. But we actually have to be repentant. The, the word repentant in Hebrew is shuv. It literally means to turn around, to go the other way. If you are heading in one direction and you realize that you're going in the wrong place to get to your destination, it's not enough just to stop and say, well, you know what, I was going the wrong way, but to actually turn around and head back the other direction. And this is what Saul did. Saul was heading in the wrong direction. He comes to the realization. He repents. He says, I was wrong. He is baptized into the faith. And now, as ardently as he persecuted the church, now he is a propagator of the church. As much as he was killing Christians, now he is making new Christians. He is baptizing others. We read about it just the second half of verse 19 that for several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. Saul was. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. 
Friends, repentance isn't feeling guilty, but asking for forgiveness and working for good. Repentance isn't feeling guilty about what we've done. Friends, as people of faith, we should never do anything out of guilt or shame. Guilt or shame are are not what we were put here for. Jesus has taken that guilt and shame from us. But to work in our repentance, we are now invited to realize we were wrong. To make that realization that I was in the wrong spot and be repentant, which means actually working for good. It takes a, a very humble person to realize they were wrong. It takes a Christian to not only admit that they were wrong, but to work actively for good. And that's what I hope and pray that we will do this week. I'm going to encourage us to do a couple of things. And, and uh, I'm going to ask us to, to ask ourselves a couple of questions. I want to let you know that you, these questions come from a book uh, by Andy Stanley called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. Um, this is a, a newer book by, by Andy Stanley. And it has five questions in here that if you ask yourself these five questions... Um, you know, that'll actually make our lives better. Again, it's called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. I would strongly recommend this book to you. Uh, But there are two questions in here that I want to highlight. And so the first thing I want us to do is to look out for patterns that don't lead to life. Uh, Take a look at our life. Actually use this time to be introspective, to take a look at our life and and look out for patterns that don't lead to life in, in in our own life. Not in somebody else's life, but in our own life. And as we look out for these patterns, I want you to ask yourself this question that Stanley asks in his book. He says, what story do I want to tell? You say, how do I know if a pattern doesn't lead to life? Ask yourself this question. What story do I want to tell? When this phase is over, what story do I want to tell? When you're walking through your divorce, when your children get older, what kind of story do you want to tell them about yourself? When you look forward to retirement and you think about your work, what story do you want to tell while you're parenting and when your children get older and they start having children of their own and they ask you these questions, what kind of story do you want to tell? What are the patterns in your life that are not leading to life? And the second thing I want to encourage you to do is is don't be afraid to make a change. So many times we get convinced that that we just need to be right and, and friends, at some point we are wrong and we just have to admit it to ourselves and to not be afraid to make a change. And as we think about making a change, uh, I want to encourage you, this, this other question that Stanley asks is, what is the loving thing to do? As we think about making a change, what is the loving thing to do? And I want us to be honest with ourselves that asking ourselves this, what is the loving thing to do, is going to cost us. It's going to take something from us. We read about this question and we read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he 
prays before he will experience crucifixion for the sins of the world. Jesus prays in the garden and, and he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup be taken from me. But even if not, let thy will be done. Don't be afraid to make a change in your life when you realize that you are wrong. And as you are about to make that change, I hope that we will ask ourselves, what is the loving thing to do? And I pray with everything that I am that the people of Lover's Lane, the people of Thrive, would be known by a people who do the loving thing. Let us pray. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be in this place. Wherever we are, God, whether we are gathered in this room, if we are at home, God, whatever we are doing as we are, as we are uh, God, doing laundry, as we are wrestling kids, as we are having our morning coffee, God, whatever it is in these moments that we are doing, God, I pray that your spirit will be made known to us. God, that we would experience you in this place, that you would use this as an opportunity for transformation. God, we are in the wrong. There was this thing that popped up in the back of our mind as we started talking about transformation that we thought, you know, I could really use it here and we pushed it further back. God, we were hoping that that voice would go away. We were hoping that we didn't actually have to change, God, but I pray that you would bring it glaringly into our mind this morning. God, that, that we could never forget this opportunity. God, maybe we didn't know what we believed this morning. Maybe we were watching this online and, and God, we, we were just looking for something. Just something to help. And, and God, we pray that this would be that opportunity. God, I be, pray that we would be transformed. that we look like one thing now, God, and, and sometimes we're not too pleased with it. We pray that through the end of this transformation that we would look more like Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.